What do I love about Sarah Lawrence College? I mean, there are a ton of things, and my answer probably has changed over the years because when I was on the faculty, I would have said, absolutely the students. That was the number one thing. I don't interact with students as much as I did. Obviously, I'm not in the classroom, and so I meet them typically, um, you know, in uh, committees or, or something like that. So now it's more about the people that I work with day to day. So I'm just going to say the people. For Sarah Lawrence College, I'm Tim Kale, and this is the Sarah Lawrence College Podcast. For our second episode of the season, we are joined by Kenwal Singh to discuss her pivotal role at SLC, physics, and much more. Kenwal is a delightful person. I liked her the instant I shook hands with her, and I think you'll like her too. For all things Sarah Lawrence College, visit our main website at sarahlawrence.edu. Check out our college tour page where prospective students and their parents can see videos on finding community, expressing yourself, and getting involved, to name just a few. That link will be in the show notes. Follow the Sarah Lawrence College on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Vimeo, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Also, the Sarah Lawrence Student Life Preservation Project is accepting contributions at slcstudentlifeproject.omica.net. That URL will be in the show notes. Remember to give the podcast a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We really count on these reviews. They give us a bit of a morale boost, and they help us find our audience. All right, that about does it for this intro. It's time for the show. Enjoy. Um, so would you please state your name, your personal <coughs> pronouns, and your title here at SLC. Okay, my name is Kenwal Singh. I use she, her, and my title is Provost and Dean of Faculty. And nobody knows what a provost is. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so so what is a provost? So what the heck is a provost? What do I do here? Well, my, my question was, what does a provost and dean of faculty do? So I oversee everything... Um, that has to do with academic programming at the college. So that means everything from our littlest learners at the Early Childhood Center up through the undergraduate program, all of our uh, graduate and professional degrees, as well as our offerings such as um, the kind of programming we have through the Writing Institute, the Child Development Institute, the Center for the Urban River, which is our environmental education center in Yonkers, as well as global education, uh, and I also oversee IT and the library. And those wow. two things, I would say, you know, um, serve as a foundation to serve all of the academic programming. So, yeah, it's a lot of stuff when how, I say it like that. <laughs> yeah. How, I mean, how are you much, how do you make sure that you don't get stretched too thin? Mm. So I work with a lot of really, really great people. Right. We have a dean of graduate and professional studies who you've had on the podcast, Kim Ferguson. Yeah. <clears throat> we have, as you know, Mustafa, the mm -hmm. director of the library. So essentially, I would say the way that I don't get stretched too thin is because we have all of these other people at the college who are closer to all of those different areas that I oversee that are just doing a great job. Okay. All right. Yeah. So they, and they are invaluable. What are some of the challenges you face? So one of the things I would say on a day-to-day -day level that is really a challenge, but it's, it's also something that I love about this job, 
Because I oversee all of these different parts of the college and I work with so many different people in different offices, the problems and issues that come up on a given day are very varied. So from one hour to the next, I have to switch my head, right, from one problem to another problem or to an opportunity or to something exciting. And so this sort of constant... I don't know, it's almost like you can imagine your brain firing and, you know, different parts of it all the time, mm-hmm. which is a challenge, but it's also, again, what makes things exciting mm-hmm. and interesting. So I, I, I kind of love it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you able to leave work at work? Well, you know, really, you should ask my husband and son that <laughs> question because they would say... Absolutely not. (laughs) Um, So what does that look like? So that means that I'll wake up in the morning and I'll be sitting there eating breakfast and my son or husband will be talking to me and I'll be saying, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, because really I'm reading and answering email at, you know, 6.30 in the morning. Um, It means uh, things come up at at all hours. And and the other thing is that a lot of my days are filled with – meetings and talking to people. And so there are things that I have to address that I can't get to during the day. I have to do it after I'm at home. So, so no, mm. I don't really leave it. I don't really leave work at work. Interesting. Well, what do you do to relax then? Mm. I do do a lot of things to relax though. Uh, I hike a uh-huh. lot. And, and when I'm hiking, I generally go places where the cell reception is not good, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're not gonna you're not gonna call me or text me then. Mm-hmm. Um, I crochet oh, okay. a bunch, yeah, that's great. And um, hiking and crocheting are my two probably biggest things. And I bake. I love to bake, even though I don't like sweets, but I like to make them for other people. Uh, and I read. So, you yeah. know, baking is has is a recurring theme on this show. Like, oh I, yeah, yeah, yeah. People talk about. You know, unwinding with baking and yeah. just that the the making, and I find that when I make food at my home, mm-hmm. like dinner for my wife, it's a great way of like just forgetting everything because you're you're just thinking about the person you're about to make happy. Yeah, basically. Oh, that's lovely. So my husband is the cook, and uh-huh. he feels that way about cooking, and so he you know day to day cooking. Um, I don't enjoy that at all. So if I had to if I had to be the one making dinner all the time, I think I would hate it. But baking, I really love. Although, like I said, I don't I don't have a sweet tooth at all. Interesting. So um, you know, I'm making stuff and always saying, "Okay, how does that taste? What do you think? How about this time? I change this. <laughs> I change that." Mm-hmm. Um, now, you, now you have a smile like you're going to ask me something really, <laughs> really difficult or no? Or it's really funny. It's, like, it's it's an inside baseball kind of question. Like it's a very insular kind of question. Like purely for my benefit. Okay. Uh, which is what was it like to be Bobby's boss? Uh, <laughs> what what were her core strengths as an employee? Oh, I mean, Bobby was just terrific, right? But um. So Bobby had been library director before I came into my position. Oh, okay. Right. So there were um, so I think Jerry Dodds before me had, had supervised Bobby. And two things. So Bobby had a, a great relationship with her staff. She was very, very supportive of staff and people really loved her. And she was a great manager of um, resources at the library. So she was the person who I would have these these great conversations where she would um, she would say, "Look, we're 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 watching this aspect of the library really carefully. Let's say um, uh, periodical usage," and she would say, "Look, 
XYZ periodicals are just not being used at all. So this is something that we should really, you know, look at, at changing because we have to evolve. But then she was also very good about um, checking in with people and letting them know when there was going to be a change and making sure that she wasn't overlooking something. So she was just very careful and thoughtful and a great person to, to, to work with. Mm-hmm. And saved money as well. She did. She did. She was just a, a great um, steward. Yeah. Of the library resources. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to get her to listen to this episode. So oh, she good. Can um, and she was a lot of fun and had a great sense of humor, too. She did have a good sense of humor. She really yeah, had a great does. sense of humor. She does. Um, so it says on the website that your special interests include low temperature physics. Mm-hmm. And I'm immediately fascinated by that phrase. What is low temperature physics? So my PhD is in theoretical condensed matter physics and specifically low temperature. And what that means is asking questions about what happens to matter as it as we approach absolute zero. So what is absolute zero? Oh, absolute zero is that's it. <laughs> absolute zero, all motion stops. Basically that we, we can't actually attain absolute zero. So if you are cooling a substance, for example, the lower you take the temperature, the closer you get to absolute zero. So that's on the absolute uh, temperature scale. So that's not, um, that's, uh, that's the Kelvin scale. It's not Celsius. It's not Fahrenheit, right? The closer you get to absolute zero, the harder it becomes to extract the heat to get to the next uh, the, the next level down in temperature. So it becomes okay. harder and harder and harder as you get closer and closer. It's kind of like, um, what am I thinking? Zeno's paradox okay. in a way. So we can't attain, we can't actually attain absolute zero. Um, but you were but, saying something else. I interrupted your thought. In oh, your... about, so, so matter, um, particularly certain kinds of matter, um, which are the kinds that I worked on, superfluids and superconductors, behave really strangely as we approach absolute zero. So I'll, I'll give you an example. So if you have a liquid and you, you know, we think about the states of matter, right? Solid liquid gas. So let's say you have a liquid and uh, like water and you lower the temperature. So what happens is that the molecules move more and more slowly and eventually that substance will solidify and the, um, the, the, the molecules or atoms, depending on what it is that are making it up, are going to sort of lock into place. So that also means that on the way to achieving that solid state, your liquid becomes more and more viscous. It flows more and more slowly the colder it becomes. So imagine warm maple syrup, mm-hmm. right? Just flows over your pancakes. But if you take it out of the refrigerator, it's, it's stickier, right? It's more viscous. Yeah. Okay. So there are some materials, helium is an example, that as you make it colder and colder and colder, you will hit a temperature, which is called the transition temperature, where all of a sudden, it's not becoming more and more viscous as a liquid. It basically has no viscosity. It can flow through talcum powder without being absorbed at all. Mm. It can... um, it does all kinds of things. It crawls up the sides of beakers, up and out. It, um, it well, anyway, I'll stop there because I can just go on and on <laughs> and on about this, but it behaves very, very strangely. Uh-huh. So 
um, superconducting materials, right? Materials that conduct electricity with no resistance, with no heating up. They operate in a similar manner to what I just described with the with the helium. They're the thing that's flowing is um, uh, electricity, but they become they become superconducting as they become colder, as you hit the transition temperature. Okay. Was that just way, way too long an explanation? Uh, no, yeah. not at all. No, <laughs> I, I love hearing people talk about physics and science, and I want to get more of that on the show. Mm, that's great. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, that was great. Um, here's another physics question. This may not mean anything to you, or, or I may be misunderstanding a thing. Okay. But what is new physics? Does that new resonate at all? New physics. So, not really. I mean, not to me so okay. much. Remember, I, in some ways, I'm not a physicist anymore. I haven't done it for a long time. I feel like it's new physics, like new math, which is really just what's going on currently. Or, I mean, it's I like, know. Um, I watched this documentary. I wish I could remember the name of it. It was on Netflix, but it was about the Large Hydron Collider. Mm-hmm. And it was, is it the Higgs boson? Hey, Higgs boson? Yes. Mm-hmm. And basically they said if in the tests that we're doing we see that it means it's confirming the physics we currently have is accurate. The standard model. The standard uh-huh. model is accurate uh, and we're not arriving at new physics. So there, there are all these, um, there are competing theories about the ultimate, I'll say, structure of matter. And there's a model which is, is pretty it's decades and decades old now, called the standard model, which tells us that matter appears in um, a certain finite number of forms and then combines in certain ways to give us the universe as we know it. And then there are other models like um, string theory, which say essentially, to, to really oversimplify, that we can think of the fundamental structure of matter as really being about... Um, you can imagine as sort of energy packets, which you can, um, which you can liken to the kinds of vibrational patterns that certain types of strings would make, mm-hmm. and 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 anyway, and there and there are some other um, uh, theories too. And so I think what that documentary was saying is that with the Large Hadron Collider, if a certain particle is found, that's going to lend evidence to this thing called the standard model. But if not, there's got to be some other model. Mm-hmm. That's what, so, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, which, which they're saying new physics. New, new physics meaning um, something that isn't the standard model. Exactly. And they were kind of, some of them were all really excited for it. Mm-hmm. And then they were a little bit let down. But then others were like, well, this is still fascinating insight. Sure. I mean, you know? in some ways, the great thing about science, about physics, about sciences in general, in some ways, you can't, it, it's hard to say that you have a failed experiment, right? If, if an experiment doesn't show you what you're looking for, it's still telling you something. It's still giving you information. Which is a great rule to apply to one's life, I think, <laughs> you know? True. Like you, can, uh, you can try and fail, but you learn from the failure. Like, you learn from the process, it's a process. I, I think I think that's the key. If you sort of think of everything that you experience, that you make happen, that happens to you, et cetera, as an experience, that just gives you a different, a completely different outlook on life than saying, oh, well, that was a success and that was a failure. I mean, sure, everything has aspects of success and aspects of failure. Maybe that's a way to, yeah. to look at it. Yes. What significant scientific discovery 
do you think we'll get to experience in our lifetime? Oh, wow. Huh. That's a really interesting question. Um, I don't know. And I separate the idea of scientific discovery from technological advances. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. But I think of scientific discovery as about giving us more knowledge about the fundamental structure of the universe. And I think of technological advance as harnessing that knowledge to create something else. So maybe it's easier. To, um, hmm, I don't know. That's a really good question. I think that I think that I could give I you, think I could give you a couple examples. Okay. Like uh, the like AI. Mm-hmm. Um, but not like it is right now. So to me, AI is not a scientific discovery, right? Okay. The development of AI is a technological advance. Okay. I do think, and people may disagree. I mean, and maybe I'm, they may say that we're making, I'm making a distinction without a difference. I don't know. But um, I think of AI, which I think is going to become more and more and more sophisticated very, very quickly. So that's not just in our lifetimes. That's like next year, the next five years. Yeah, exactly. That is certainly going to happen. But if, if I were to think about scientific discovery, I think we're going to have much more of an understanding about how um, the physical and the psychological are intertwined and contribute to our health and well-being. I think we don't have, we have some understanding, but not a great understanding of what the interactions of, of the, 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 the physical with the emotional, I should say and how um, experiences and how we process them psychologically are connected to the development of our, our own neural networks, that, that sort of thing. I think there's going to be a lot of advances there. All right. No, that's yeah. great. Do you like science fiction? No. <laughs> that's that, so funny. That I, I'm so like, emphatic. no, I am such <laughs> not the science fiction fan. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that's, that's so funny. funny. I shouldn't say it that way. You know, my husband no, and my totally son fine. and my stepson are all science fiction fans. Well, especially my, my husband and stepson. And I just, I don't get it. I don't get the appeal. So what, what do you love? Oh, I just love fiction. Just right? Love so fiction. I just love fiction. So I've, I'm, I'm not a great nonfiction reader, which is funny being a scientist. Okay. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big fiction reader. And currently... I seem to be in this this kind of reading jag of Irish authors for some reason, okay. contemporary and and, um, and and classic, if you want to put it that way. So um, I seem to be in that um, for just for fun. I <laughs> I like murder mysteries too. I have a big yep. thing for for murder mysteries or mysteries, I should say. Um, yeah, that's what I read. What uh, do you like film? Yes, but I actually don't watch as much film as I used to, and that's just about time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, just not having the time. Yeah, yeah. What were some of your favorite films growing oh. up? Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm not even going to be able to like conjure up something that I saw recently that I really... Well, actually, I saw something very recently, Maestro. Oh, what'd you think, had, what did you think of that? I had mixed feelings about it. I mean, at the end of the film, I thought, wow, that was really something. That was really great. Okay. And... I thought um, a couple of the performances were un- just unbelievably great. Mm-hmm. But when it started, so have you seen it? 
I went to the movie theater to see it. Very excited. I saw the trailer. I was like, this is great. This is like basically his sequel to A Star is Born. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just really excited to see Bradley Cooper bear his soul. And I'm watching it. and, And the movie is just sort of going. And I'm like, I don't know what it is. But I am not enjoying this. So I did not enjoy it for a chunk of the movie. Yeah. So did you stay for the whole thing? No, I left. Oh, you left? I left. Oh, my God. How can you do that? <laughs> I've only walked out of one movie my entire life. I leave. Uh, if, wow. If, if I... If I, And I also knew it would be on Netflix, and I would probably watch it then. Um, but I, I just thought to myself, you know, I can sit here out of a sense of obligation to this movie that is unearned or I could get up and go out and buy myself a sandwich and enjoy the rest of the day. <laughs> okay. So, that's so, what I did. so if you, if you watch it again, this might be a spoiler, but let me, I'll just say this, but too bad. Cause you, cause you want to <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the beginning of the movies, it's in black and white. Yeah. Right. And there's a particular style to the movie. Yeah. And I really was not enjoying that style. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, if this whole thing is like this, with the, the sort of Hollywood-esque scene, or the, sorry, not Hollywood, the kind of musical, Hollywood musical scenes that mm-hmm. were interspersed with the regular drama, I was really not enjoying it. Mm-hmm. But I stuck it out, and then it, it sort of changes. It also changes to color. And the way that the movie has done it. And then I, I really started to like it. And I okay. found the um, the performance of, her name is escaping me now, but the woman who played his wife. Yes. What's her? Um, Mag- um, Carrie Mulligan. Yes, Carrie Mulligan. She's unbelievable. I mean, really, really something. So I ended up enjoying it. All right. I, I will watch it, and I'll let you know what I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I don't want you, like, don't torture yourself. No, no, I got to watch it. It's probably going to be one of the Oscar nominees, which I, I'd like to see all mm. of them. Um, so our listeners run the gamut in terms of age, gender, parents, students, faculty, and alum. What's something you've learned from your time here at SLC that you'd like to pass on to them? Mm. That SLC is really a place that is about exploration. It's about exploration inside the classroom. It's about exploration outside the classroom in the wider world. It's about exploration in the arts. It's about exploration in the sciences. It's about how those things intersect. And it's about giving you, the student, the freedom and the responsibility to be an explorer. That's what I would say. And I hope and I think that alums would agree with that Um, and I hope that current students and their families really really lean into that I really hope I can get um, I don't know what office I need to talk to maybe admissions but I think this podcast could be a great recruitment tool Mm -hmm. because if people hear something like what you just said it sells the college. They're like, I want to go there, you know? Well, I hope so. I mean, who it, wouldn't Who wouldn't <laughs> want to be there, you know, their own, like lead their own exploration basically through life? I mean, I, don't, I think the podcast is, is a great thing because you get to hear from people who just occupy all these different positions at the college. You, you, you know, you've got faculty members in the faculty spotlight. You've got staff members who do all kinds of things around the college. And so it's just a great way to get the, to, to know the college from the inside out, even if you're not here on campus. 
Uh, so I asked you about Bobby's strengths. Uh-huh. What about Mustafa's strengths? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so Mustafa, as you well know, um, is somebody who is just... What's the word I want? I, not brimming is exploding, exploding with ideas. Yes. He's just exploding with ideas all the time. Yes. My opinion is that that is Mustafa's greatest strength and, and one of the great joys in talking with him about anything. Because you just see him start to look off and go, you know, we could. <laughs> and then 14 <laughs> ideas come spilling out. And he is just always going to find a way. So there's that combined with, so he's, he's just exploding with ideas, but all those ideas are really in service of making the library like the place to be yeah. on campus for students, right? And making students feel like they have ownership of it. And that's just, it's, it's just fantastic. Yeah. Um, I pat myself on the back for hiring me. <laughs> you say. should all the time. You should. <laughs> I um I, I wrote down uh in, in, a, a note on him mm-hmm. that I didn't for any of the others. Um, I that he was the only one who really had vision. He had a vision. I wasn't necessarily sure what it was, but I knew it was there. Oh, he absolutely, absolutely does. And yes. I think all the stuff that you all do in the library. Um, I know he he, uh, he he loves all of you, the, the library staff, and and it just sounds like you have a great great team here, and so it's so much fun to just walk. I mean, I was just walking up, and I was like, oh look, the skeletons are still there. Oh, my yes. goodness! And then I saw the jean shin. I mean, it was just amazing. It's yes. amazing what's going on in here. Yes. Are there any questions I didn't ask that you wish I had? Um, I thought you were going to ask me like trickier questions. Yeah. No. You seem disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not disappointed. I was just like, I wonder what he's going to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I mean, I thought you were going to ask me where I was from, which is kind of important to me. So so maybe, can I answer you, that? Where are you from? So I'm from Maryland, but I'm from the Eastern Shore okay. of Maryland, which is like the little... Um, kind of red corner near the ocean of Maryland. And it's very, very different from what people think about because they think about D.C. and the D.C. suburbs and all of that. And this is just like the ocean and marshland and uh, chicken farms. Oh, wow. And that's where I'm from. Yeah. Oh, wow. So where, where do you live now? In Montclair, New Jersey, oh, okay. which I really love. It's a great, great town. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's really what I call home now. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Ken Hall. I really appreciate you being on the show. Oh, thank you so much. It was so fun. Thus concludes this episode of the Sarah Lawrence College Podcast. Thank you very much once again to Ken Wall for sharing your insights and time with us. It was just a total delight. Uh, just thoroughly enjoyable talking with you. Very easy, breezy, <laughs> and I think it'd be fun to do it again in the future. If you're new to the podcast, go back and listen to the 60-plus episodes that are available now for free. Follow Sarah Lawrence College on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Vimeo, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Those are some great ways to stay connected with us. All, All right, right, that about does it for me, folks. Thank, Thank you very much. much. It's, it's been, been a pleasure sharing the Sonic Space with you, and I look forward to doing it again next week. week.